John, I understand you're like the Titanic. <laughs> I'm like a ship. Now, see, that, that's the wrong segue, the, the wrong intro. It's supposed to be like, do you smell that? It smells like ship. <laughs> So, John, you've shipped. We shipped 3.0s now. Findery 3.0s now live in the App Store. We pushed the button yesterday. It got approved even a couple days faster than we expected, but we had to hold it because there's an event that our CEO is speaking at today, so we wanted to kind of hold it for that. And uh, we have, and it's in the store. Immediately stop what you're doing, hang up this podcast, download it, and give it a five-star review. So what's the major changes from a... You know, that you've had to handle technically from the 3.0 side of things. I mean, obviously there's there's features in there, but right. for you as the primary developer, what are the technical challenges you've had to overcome? I, I guess you've spoken about lots of them as we've been going through, but just just tell us how, when you look at 3.0, okay, when, when your CEO or whoever looks at 3.0, they look at, oh, I can now do this or I can now do that. Whereas when a developer looks at 3.0, it's, I solve this, I solve that, I learn yeah. about this. What What were those for you? Uh, the biggest thing is managing the differences between seven and eight. Um, we talked about some of them. Some of them keep cropping up. You know, we're dealing with some of them now. You know, with every with every major integer release, <laughs> there's always going to be like the one release, which which fixes bugs that you you weren't able to fix in time, or you just you didn't find until after it's released. Uh, and and almost all of them have to do with with subtle. Or not so subtle changes between seven, uh, you know, iOS seven and iOS eight, and uh, an example of which has to do with keyboards showing and hiding and the, uh, the order in which it does. Like if you have two view controllers and they both have the keyboard, and you know, and they both want to have the keyboard that handoff where you're resigning first responder in 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 one control and passing it off to another. In iOS seven, and we can't figure out why uh, it can get stuck. Where we you have a keyboard that's showing, we cannot for the life of us figure out who the first responder is. And we've even you know use a little category method on on UI view and just traverse every single sub view from the main window, asking, "Hey, are you first responder? Are you first responder?" And nobody says, "I'm first responder." And and this is something that's completely different in seven and eight, and we just don't know. Fortunately, it's in a rather you know it's a, a pretty damn obscure set of, of steps to get there. Um, and it only affects iOS 7. So on, on the one hand, we'd like to say, why are we even bothering it with it? But because iOS 7 is still um, a fair number of people are using it, we, we haven't been able to, 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 to do that. You know, the, the other big issue is, is, is was this whole, I don't want to say fiasco, but kind of uh, uh, you know, fun and games with with uh, PhotoKit versus AL Asset Library, whereas you know iOS eight shipped and they removed the the all photos you know album from from your photo library and any app in the world, which is pretty much any app that uses the, you know the, a photo picker, couldn't see all you know they could only see a couple hundred of their last photos. And many people, it's pretty common to have thousands and thousands of photos. And for us. Um, having all the photos and having access to them and sorting them and, and inquiring, inquiring them or, or, or you know, uh, querying the, the entire photo library for photos within a specific geographic region is an important part of our app. And all of a sudden, we weren't able to do it when iOS 8 shipped. And that's because of, of this change. So they took out that API 
uh, or they, they took out that feature really, and then they proposed a different API which would allow you to get around it, and it has many many nice features, but doesn't work on seven. So you know, I solved that uh, by basically taking one code path for users of iOS seven and one path a code path for iOS eight. We talked about it in a prior podcast. After doing all that work. Uh, Apple bowed to pressure, as we said, and, and they they restored it. And looking back, you know, would I would I have loved not to have have gone through the work that I did to to bridge those two APIs? Yeah, there's probably other things I could have done. And you know, you, you ask the question about what's technically different, and there are lots of technical differences. But in reality, the 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 biggest change with with Findery two and Findery three is not so much the the tech as the arrangement of the tech. You know, we 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 worked really hard to radically simplify the app um, and, uh, and and did many, many more iterations of, of, of some of the core features. Um, and I think we, I think we, I think we nailed some things, other things will hmm, probably still have to refine it some more, but I am very proud of it. Well, that's the important thing. I mean, we, we're never going to ship anything perfect. There's always compromises. Um, there's always features missing. There's always bits that if, you know, as, as engineers, uh, behind the scenes, we're slightly embarrassed about it. But if if overall you can say you're proud of it, then it's a good release. Yeah, yeah. Here's here's so, sorry. There's one other thing that I noticed. This is an interesting thing relating to accessibility. You know, uh, at, at a fairly last minute, you know, we we were just like basically saying, what can we remove from the screen? Let's just let's just cut things, remove it, remove it, remove it. So we had a tab bar and we'd even considered getting rid of the tab bar and we had uh, had used a so-called hamburger menu for, for some period of time. Um, and, you know, we were we, there were things about it that we really liked because it gave a lot of space on the bottom and that really helped on three and a half inch screens and just generally, you know, removed clutter from the app. But there's a reason why tab bars exist. And and the main reason is, is that, you know, you put something in a hamburger menu, that's where features go to die in an app. And in fact, there was a blog post that was saying, it's like, you know, I know people got all hot and heavy with hamburger menus, but take it from the words of this Apple user experience evangelist, which happens to be the one that that did a review of our app, you know, six months ago, um, who basically said no and <laughs> just say no to hamburger menus. So we were in that position where we're trying to think, okay, um, should we have a hamburger menu? Should we not? And I was at that point where like saying, well, you know, we can try both. The difference between having one and not having one is not all that di- not all that difficult, and I made it so that you could change it at runtime, which was uh, helpful to to really validate something. And so we ended up going back to a hamburger menu. But then, in the experience of of wanting to keep things cleaner, we removed the labels. We figured, hey, we don't need to have you know we don't always need to have uh, labels there, and and we thought, oh, isn't that wonderful? But then we discovered that uh, when you remove labels from a tab view, all of a sudden your accessibility goes away. And this is something we did not uh, expect. But, you know, uh, and I guess it's because the, the accessibility hint depends on there being a title. And even if you add an accessibility hint, if you don't have a title on a tab bar item, um, you don't get the accessibility hint. And what's and so we ended up having to work around it by just leaving the title in there, but changing the, the color, <laughs> the text to clear color. Bizarre. All right, so you're saying you, you filled in all the – you weren't relying on the accessibility stuff defaulting to the label. You filled in all the yep. accessibility stuff anyway. Yep. But by the fact, as soon as you remove the label, I guess that sort of – yeah, that doesn't really make sense in something that you can also have an icon on, does it? Because right. you still 
if it was just a text view or something or a text field, you can understand accessibility, not reading it if it didn't have any content, no. even if you had accessibility stuff. But if there's an icon, maybe can you add accessibility to the, the image? Or? Uh, you probably, that, that may be the way of, of getting around it, but a tab bar item, um, you know, you typically a tab bar item is something you set on the view controller that's included in, in a tab bar. And um, that's where we, we said it. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, I'm not sure, but you know, we hadn't tried adding adding the accessibility hint to the tab bar items image. Um, but maybe that would work as well. Well, if anybody knows that they're the answer to solve John's problem, then answers on a postcard to Mr. John Fox. <laughs> it's flooded San Francisco nine four one one zero. There we are. Well, John, it's. Um, I've been working on a project for the last two weeks now, um, which is. All, J- um, all Jason, all Swift. Mm. Um, so although I've been playing with Swift in the past, this is the first time I've really used it from, you know, in, in complete anger where I've got no choice. This is um, what I'm doing. And I've tried to keep um, everything about this project uh, as swift as possible. So obviously Coco is still Objective-C and I have to use Coco with it, but I am anytime I have to look for a library to do something, whatever I'm trying to find a Swift version of the library as opposed to using wrappers, just so I can really get to my head round uh, Swift. And I have to say, after about two weeks, I really do like it. it it's uh, on, on the whole, it's really, really good. Um, I guess the the hardest thing for me to get used to, and it's not because they're difficult or I don't understand them, it's just there's something. Um, about it that just hasn't clicked yet is dealing with optionals. Mm. Now, um, just in case people don't know what optionals are, um, in, in Objective-C, of, of course, you could have uh, any class, any variable could be nil or could have the content of the object in, whereas in Swift, um, you're not allowed variables to be uh, have a nil value unless you explicitly uh, declare them as optional. Uh, and even then, it's not that the variable has a value that's nil. It's the the variable can uh, be nil or have a value, and you have to f- check which one it is before you use it. Um, and so this whole um, aspect of, of either checking something as nil and then having to unbox it um, to, to use it and use things like the exclamation mark, it just... Um, you know, it, it it's the bit that my oh, I always seem to make mistakes. You know, when 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 you build the Swift project, it, that's always where the errors are. There'll be things like you know, this object doesn't support this method, and you're sat there thinking, oh, you know, this variable. You think it does. I wrote that method three minutes ago, and then you realize, you know, the variable is an optional, and you've not added the exclamation mark, the bang at the end of the variable name to um, unpack the optional. So it's actually just checking if it's you know, the nil value of it and it just oh it just drives me mad but I'm, I'm i'm guessing i'll get there but on the whole i i think the syntax is great um not having semicolons semicolons at the end of lines which i know you can do but i'm trying to embrace the language from its modern form is uh it feels that feels quite weird after using languages basically all my life that i think every language i've used um, with the exception of the short stint I did with Visual Basic, uh, ha- has a semicolon at the end of the line. Um, so C, C++, C Sharp, uh, Objective-C, Pascal. Uh, so having not having them there is really <laughs> quite weird. And, and again, not having parentheses around if statements. But on the whole, I really like it. But there is one area uh, which I am uh, using a lot where it is... Um, 
I'm finding it uh, less than satisfactory, or I have done, um, because this whole aspect of it being a strongly typed language makes using things like JSON really difficult. Because the whole whole point of JSON is to be flexible and not have lots of configuration and things can be there or not be there. And, and although it, 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 it will use JSON and you can JSONify objects and whatever else, the whole combining that with the fact that things have to be optional right. uh, is just, it just creates a complete spaghetti of crappy code um, to access these objects, that, which is uh, that, uh, a bit of a nightmare. That's an interesting thing because I, that's immediately what come to mind is that a problem with deserializing JSON is, is you seem to see different behaviors about how you deal with something not being there. And you oftentimes have to test it. And sometimes you'll, you'll get a deserialized object and uh, they will say, well, there was no value. So instead of it just being nil, we don't do nil, we do NS null. So then you, you get, you, you unpack the JSON, it becomes a dictionary that you ask for value for key and you expect, expect that, well, if it's, if it's not nil, then, you know, then, then it's nothing there. But if it, <laughs> rather, it, you know, you, you check for nil and, and then saying, okay, there's no value there. But then you say, well, okay, it's not nil. So there is a value. But then all of a sudden you get, uh, NS null does not respond to, uh, blah, blah, blah errors. So you have to check not only is it not nil, but is it of, of a certain class? Um, and I can imagine that would be, is, is that having to do with some of the issues you're seeing? Yeah. And it's, um, so what I've actually done is I did start trying to do this stuff and we've had discussions about using third party code uh, on this podcast before and um, how I don't think you should just throw it in. But I did, I did go out and have a look and see who, how other people would um solve this and i came across a project on github called swifty json mm-hmm. and um it's all written in swift uh, it's a single um uh source code file it's a couple of thousand lines long but um wow. you know, I, I i sort of had a look at it and i thought okay i can understand what that's doing if i need to maintain that code in the future it's not going to be an issue to me um so i feel reasonably comfortable adding this to my project so i did and what that basically allows you to do is now you can um, say, say there's a um, an element in your JSON called name. Uh, you can just uh, you create a JSON type that it that it refers to to take your JSON, and you can just say um, my object, and then you access it use the um, subscription mm. thing like you would do yeah. for a dictionary with name, and then you can just put dot string or dot number. Um, and what it will do is it will return, um, it will either, if that exists, it will return a number. And if it doesn't exist, it will return a nil. Mm. So, so you could then put that into an optional or you can put, um, dot string value. And what it will do there is if it exists, it will return a string. And if it doesn't exist, it will return an empty string. Mm. So you get the choice and it, and, and that suddenly made, um, working with Jason bearable because it was, I was almost screaming before that. And it wasn't that it, it was just, it was just the amount of code you had to write. It was horrible. And I, and I guess what this, this code is doing is it's, it's sort of dealing with a lot of that stuff for you in there. So if you have to work with Swift uh, and you have to work with Jason, um, then I suggest I'll put link in the show notes that you go take a look at Swifty Jason um, because it definitely made my life a little bit easier. That is a helpful hint from Heloise. There we are. Now, the other the other weirdness I find about Swift is the way that sometimes things have been done. So, like when you're working with a string, there's no 
there's no length property on a string. Um, now I know when you're working with NS string, uh, the length property is a um, it's a lie, isn't it? If you're working with Unicode, mm-hmm. um, because some Unicode characters take up two characters or whatever, and so you know that is the the length of it, but it's not the number of characters in the string. Um, so in Swift, there's a function you have to call passing the string in called count elements, and that returns the number of characters in the string. But I, you know, and, and I get that, and that's great, but I, I still don't understand why they couldn't add a string property called number of elements or something that internally called its count elements with itself yeah. and return that to make it because you've got all this dot syntax which if you didn't like dot syntax with <laughs> objective c then you'll hate swift yeah. um so you've got all this dot syntax everywhere and then suddenly you're making these random function calls to to do stuff like this um and and that i can't get quite get my head around some of the design decisions there um and finding some of this stuff out the the what you do realize is once you start working with it is the swift book um has an awful lot missing um, from uh, the Apple released from what you can and can't do. There are, there are getting to be more and more sites out there that are getting useful for some of this stuff. But it's stuff like that that is caused the sort of things to be slow or, or, or you know, the progress not to be great. Um, but actually, as far as the code is concerned, for reading the code, it's very readable. It's very clean. Um, closures uh, or blocks, as we would call them in Objective C, are so much better looking in Swift than they are than that obnoxious Objective C syntax mm. that we had to use. Um, and passing just um, things is is functions. So yeah, it's been uh, my first um, appraisal of Swift is definitely a thumbs up. Well, that that's interesting. So uh, gosh, that's going to have to force you know. Recal, you know, Luddites like me into to, to doing it, but I, I still love the the, the feeling that it, it's it's for an existing project. It's not not a given to me that it's worth the hassle. For brand new ones, absolutely. Yeah, I would say that on an existing project, because the the bridging is pretty good. Uh, it is pretty toll free, as Apple would say. Uh, the bridging between Swift and Objective C is very good. I'd say it's probably a little bit more problematic going the other way. Mm. Um, but again, you know, I don't think Objective C is going anywhere over the next um, few years. Um, it'll be interesting to see it dubbed up this year whether we get any Swift only frameworks. Yeah. I guess that will force some people into it. Well, that's the. But, that, um, that, I would say a new project you probably want to be looking in it. Yeah, well, I mean, you could take it in both senses of the word. It's not going anywhere, meaning it's not going away, but it's also probably not going to be advanced much. I mean, they've, they've seen probably done as much as they possibly can into it, right? I mean, it's like I, I don't think they're going to be putting any serious engineering right. effort into improving the language anymore. Yeah. Um, so what you've got now, which is a great language, is is cool, but it's um, yeah, I think for for new projects. So this project is iOS eight uh, only, um, so it's gone Swift. It just seemed to make sense. Um, running Xcode 6.2 here, which mm, crashes no more than 10, 12 times a day. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't It doesn't crash, as in, um, I can't remember. Um, uh, it's like the editor crashes, but Xcode doesn't crash. And it does recover, but you just have to wait for it to recover and things. Um, so it, it is reasonably robust. I'm not really having to restart it, but it's... Uh, yeah, it's um, it's cool, and I'm an app. As you know, I'm an app code user, mm. and app code 
uh, Swift support is still um, in its early stages. You can only really use Swift, I think, in their early access program. Um, and it, its syntax highlighting is still a bit rough and its code completion is a bit rough and it's got no refactorings yet. But then again, a lot of that stuff doesn't work that great in Xcode yet. So there we go. Well, that's cool. I'm glad that you are going swiftly into the night and it may be that you need to swiftly get to your stand-up. No, I've got one more thing to talk about first. I've oh. got a couple of minutes. Ah. Um, is NS Conference. Tickets go, by the time you, this podcast is out, uh, tickets will be on sale. And um, we've uh, announced the initial lineup. There's a few more to go, but the initial lineup is out there. And I'm um, really pleased with this year's lineup. Not that I've never been not pleased with it. Um, and uh, we have some great speakers. I'm not going to read them all out to you, um, but um, go to the NS Conference website at nsconference.com and check them out. There's quite a lot of first-time speakers. Um, Jesse Char, James Dempsey, Case Huston, uh, Paul Cafarsis, and Scott Little, Bill Moorhead are all first-time speakers. Peter Onvely, De Sketch, Laura Savino, Sally Shepard, Daniel Steinberg are all first-time speakers, plus some old friends back as well. And a few more to be um, announced. So go and check it out. And tickets go on sale on the 4th of December, uh, 8 a.m. GMT. Um, we're expecting to sell reasonably well. So um, go and take a look. And if not, even at least go and take a look at our theme for this year, which I think people will enjoy. Oh, Scotty, I wish you. I wish that you have swift sales. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so do I, because... Uh, the, the bill from the conference center is horrendous. <laughs> and if I have to pay it myself, then um, I'll be having to move in there and live there because my house will have to go. <laughs> yes. For somebody, please come to the... This is the thing with conference organizers. We, we talk about the risk of giving up your job and, um, uh, you know, and, and doing some software and living off your savings and all that stuff. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not belittling that in any way at all because that is a major commitment and is a major risk. And... Uh, and I um, I applaud people who do it and and and, and uh, to do it, but once you move into things like conferences, you know, I'm I'm you're writing checks that are the sort of size of money that you buy houses with, um, you know, and, and like so when you start writing checks the size that you would buy a small car with, you know, they're just the little ones that are going out the door, and it's like yeah, it becomes a very you, at this stage you are saying what if no one wants to come this year. Because by now, by the time the tickets go on sale, there's a complete commitment to back out now costs tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, you know, in costs. And so you're saying, what if no one wants to come this year? And you is there. So the next few days are quite nerve wracking. But there we go. Right, John, short show this week because we haven't quite worked out how to fit in um, the schedule where you do in the school run and me doing my morning stand up. And uh, so we need to talk about that. Um, so, but we'll keep it short this week. So remind people where they can find you. You can find me on Findery as John Fox. And you can find me on the Twitters as Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. And you can find all about my product, Memory Miner, at memoryminer.com. And my name is Scotty, and you can find me on Twitter as MacDevNet. You can find the show notes for this show at iDeveloper.co, where you can also subscribe to receive them by email. You can find my personal blog at wafflewithmeaning.com. Still not updated in a while, but still go there and have a look anyway. And NS Conference is at nsconference.com. Please buy a ticket. Somebody please buy a ticket. There we are. John, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you. Um, we'll be back next week. Um, and uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. And until next time, you take care. 